will turn in a copy of God's Word to Joshua 23. We're in between some series right now, and so I wanted to share a, a topic and a passage that's been very dear to my own heart. And uh, indeed, the Lord has been teaching me many things through this passage that, that I should cling to Him. That you should cling to Him. And it's the only way that we're going to get through life. The good times hard times, the lean times, the rich times, that we cling to the Lord. Joshua 23, I'm going to read the whole uh, chapter to give us a little context. Hear now the word of the Lord. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with the nations that I have already come off, cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. For they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good ground the Lord your God has given you. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and your souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you, if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that not one word that comes out of your mouth, not one word of the word of God will ever fail. It will never change. And therefore, it is trustworthy, therefore you are trustworthy. So Lord, as we, as we seek to peer in today, by your spirit, help us that we might draw closer to you and that we might cling more strongly to our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in his name we ask it. Amen. I once had the privilege of staying with someone who had a home in Ono Island. 
And Onu Island is just as nice as they say it is. It's real nice. Well, they had this really uh, old boat. It was like a skiff, kind of like a launch. It wasn't terribly long, probably about 12 feet long, and it was wood. It wasn't a Chris Cap kind of looking boat. It was well-worn, well-used, a really good boat. Um, what fancy to look at. But they put a, a decent-sized motor on the back of it, which allowed me to pull my friend, uh, who weighed maybe buck five soaking wet, uh, skiing. And whatever that water is called between Odo Island and the main drag of, of a beach, I guess that's intercoastal waterway, I don't know what that's called there. That's where I, I skied him. Now, I've never uh, driven a boat. I've never driven a boat anywhere besides Lake Martin up until this point and in my life. And, it, and li- driving a boat at the lake is very different than driving a boat in that area. See, that area itself, it, it was not dredged. It was not part of the, uh, uh, of the channel. And so we started out in this deep area, and, and I got him up. And I looked back and he was doing well. And I was like, man, this is, this is fun. This is great. And then I looked down and realized that we were in about three and a half feet of water. And when you're skiing, that's bad news, right? I mean, he may have weighed a buck five, but, you know, he was at least five foot eleven. He's a big guy. Big and strong. Uh, so I was thinking, if he were to fall right now, this would, this would be really, really bad. And then it got worse because then I looked and there were these huge jellyfish everywhere. Not only had I driven him into a shallow area, there were jellyfish all around him. And all I could see was him face planting, breaking several legs, and then getting jellyfish all over his face. And he wasn't wearing a life jacket. And then I saw the schools of sea sea rays, of stingrays. I drove into a school of them. I guess that's what you call it, a bunch of stingrays. And I was thinking, oh, great. Now he's going to fall, break both legs, get stingrays and jellyfish all over him, and it's just going to be over. So what do I do? I turn around and yell to him, hold on. (laughs) Hold on. If he were to survive, he had to hold on. He had to cling to that rope like his life which it did, depending on We've got to cling to Jesus. We've got to hold fast to Jesus. In the good times and the ill, as if our lives, our souls, depended on it. As we cling to him, he's also taped our hands around him so we can't let go. And he's got, he's got us. He's clinging to us. But we must actively be clinging to the Lord. And this is the message that Joshua was to convey to the leaders of Israel. So you'll remember the story. Moses had brought the people out of, the, out of Egypt and brought them to the edge of the promised land. But he wasn't allowed to go in the promised land. So the Lord raised up Joshua, who had been leading for a while, uh, helping Moses to be anointed and appointed and ordained and commissioned to be the new leader. To lead his people into the promised land for its conquest. And so the land has been, uh, has been conquered by this point. And Joshua is now gathering the elders and the leaders, uh, potentially all of Israel, but probably just the leaders, uh, for his penultimate, second to last address to them. What does he tell them? See, there's still a lot of work to be done. See, they had conquered the land, but there was still some work to be done. There were still some peoples that had not been driven out. What does he tell them? He says, cling to God. 
Cling to Yahweh. Cling to the Lord your God. See, God had done amazing things for them, and he, and he sought to recall to their mind the things that God had done for them and to remind them that this was a God worth clinging to. And it is in Him that, our, that his, their success will be found. This is a lesson for us too, isn't it? We may not have the promised land to clear out of its inhabitants, but I know many of our situations... I know many of your situations, and I know that there are many trials and hardships ahead. How do we get through them? We cling to Jesus. And even in the good times, if you're not in a hardship, that's perhaps even the most important time to cling to Jesus. Because see, the generation that came after this forgot the hardships and forgot how the Lord had done it. And they no longer clung to the Lord. And they went out after other gods. Cling to Jesus. This is a God who keeps his promises. We see this throughout our text, that, that Joshua is going to call to mind, calls them to remember the wonderful things that God had done for them. Verse 3, And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your, for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Remember all the great things the Lord had done for the people of Israel up until this point? You'll remember that God had made promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob that he would indeed make them the father of Abraham, the father of a great nation, and that they would inherit, have as their possession, the promised land, which was inhabited not by Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, but by these terrible Canaanites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and all the other ites who were there that weren't meant to be there. And so God sent his people down to Egypt for 430 years. And it started out great. It was a place where they could flourish. But then a pharaoh arose that had forgotten Joseph, who had been that pharaoh's second-hand man. And he enslaved all of Israel. This is where it gets really fun, isn't it? Here is where the mighty works begin because God heard the pleading of his people. And he he raised up Moses and his brother Aaron to go and to mediate these ten plagues that would demonstrate that Yahweh is God over all of creation, not the gods of the Egyptians. These culminated, of course, in the the tenth plague where the firstborn male of of every household that didn't have the, the blood of the lamb Hear that cue, Jesus? The blood of the Lamb, you know, spread over the lentils in that the first Passover night. And as the firstborn male of Pharaoh died, the future ruler of Egypt, who, who was a God incarnate, when he died, finally they pled, leave. Mighty works were to come. Because God hardened his heart. And what happened? The chariots of Pharaoh surrounded Israel and, 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 and held them up against the Red Sea. And there was nowhere to go. Moses, have you brought us out here because there weren't enough graves in Egypt? Could we not have died there? And what happened? God parted the Red Sea and they, they walked on dry land. And the same waters that saved Israel were the waters of destruction for the Egyptian army. And God would go on to meet with his people at Sinai. And enter into covenant with them. And and his presence was so strong and so holy that they pleaded for Moses to never let God come near them again, but for Moses to be the mediator. 
And then when they were hungry, the quail and the manna. And when they were thirsty, the water over and over again, even when they complained. And when they got to the kings of Sihon and Og, these, these great powerful kings and kingdoms, the Lord destroyed them before them. And then when it was time to go into the promised land, once again, a body of water stood before them. These mighty works that we see. And God's people walked on dry land again. And and yet they they walked over on the other side of the Jordan. There was Jericho, this great walled fortress city. How in the world will we ever defeat this walled fortress city? The archaeologists will tell you that the walls of Jericho have been found. And they didn't fall in. They fell out. They fell out. Why? Because of the sound of the people of Israel. After marching around for days and days, the Lord destroyed the walls of Jericho. And then they would go on to defeat the kings of the north. And at Gibeon, you would see the sun itself stand still and the hailstones of God come down on God's enemies so that more people died in the hailstones and the sword of the people of Israel. God fought for His people. And then when the five kings of Canaan, when they joined together, God defeated them too. Time and time again, God had done amazing things and not one word, not one good word of the promises that God had given to his people failed. They all came to pass. 21.45 tells us. They all came to pass. When we think about who we're going to cling to, our God is worthy to be clung to. So think about all the things in our lives that we often cling to when things get bad. Why do we ever cling to anything except the Lord God Almighty? Who from time after time after time has shown his faithfulness to his people. He has fought for his people. Do you think it was the one who could withstand the thousand? Was it because Israel was a mighty warrior nation? No. In fact, later in Jeremiah, I think it's Jeremiah, God will say it is because you are the least of all the nations that I chose you. That was because the Lord fought for them. As we stand up against great trials and hardships in our life, small, big, good times, bad times, the Lord, He fights for us. Therefore, we should cling to Him. God has fulfilled every promise. Verse 14 of our chapter here. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth, and you know, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass. Not one of them has failed. Not one promise that God has ever made has fallen are not come to pass. And we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that every promise has its yes and amen in Christ Jesus, who is God who has come to earth. Remember what God has done. See, we may not be standing uh, with Joshua in, in chapter 23 here, but we can, we can take an assessment of our own lives and see how time after time after time God has, has gotten us through the hard times. How many answers to prayer could we list if we actually lived a circumspect life and wrote them down? How many times could we see how God has provided through prayers for provision, protection, for wisdom and guidance, for family members, for growth and grace, for situations and endurance and hardships? How many times has God come through at just the right time with just the right person? How many times have we said, I will never get through this? And yet... Here we are. Remember what the Lord has done. How
How many trials and hardships has he gotten us through? How many late nights have we waited up for teenage kids, for wayward children, or perhaps even spouses? How many times? And yet God is true to his promises. You know, perhaps the greatest promise is that of salvation. We started our service with Psalm 103, and there's just this amazing phrase that I just keep coming back to. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. Do you see how amazing that statement is? Everything that I do is is touched by sin. Even the good things I do are touched by sin. Yet he doesn't deal with me according to my sin, nor does he repay me according to my iniquities. That's an amazing promise. That's not to say there aren't consequences for sin. That's not to say the Lord doesn't discipline us for our sin. But from an eternal perspective, from a guilt perspective, from a legal perspective, how could that be true? It's because someone else has been repaid for our iniquities. Someone has been dealt according to our sins. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. If we cling to Him, if we know Him, then that salvation is ours. He deals with us not based on our sin, but based on the righteousness of Christ. What an amazing promise that is. And it's a promise that we can trust Him. And upon that last day when we stand before Him on the day of judgment, and He openly acknowledges us before of all creation, this is my child. We will see that statement, that promise in its fullness. This God is worth clinging to. And this is what... um, um, Joshua is going to tell his people um, in verse 8, But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done this day. What does it mean to cling? Um, I have uh, these wireless keys for our cars. Um, They're clinging in my pocket right now. Um, But this one right here is for Chrissy's car, but it doesn't work. Now, they've made it really expensive. I mean, it's all a gimmick. You can't replace this part unless you replace that part, and so it's really expensive. But I finally, I took it out, and I, and, I, and I started looking at it, and the reason it doesn't work is because the piece of metal that connects the battery to the green mother chip-looking thing with all the pokies, you know, the reason that it doesn't work is because that metal piece isn't attached anymore. And so the current doesn't get from the battery to the computer chip. It's just a little piece. You can see where it's broken. Now, if I were smart and I knew how to solder, I could solder those two connections back together. I could, I could reattach them so they were inextricably attached and could not be removed, and therefore it would have the power it needs. In Isaiah 41, this is the word that is translated as solder. This word for cling in Isaiah 41 is translated as solder. It is connected. It's like being attached at the hip. It's it's, uh, in one place it talks about how um, the scales of an alligator cling together. In another place we find that our our skin clings to our bones. That's what it means to cling to, to be loyal to. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, we read that a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife in the King James. That word cleave is the word cling. This clinging is a, is a desperation. It is an utter dependence and reliance upon the Lord. And this is what Joshua was telling the Israelites, you must do. And in order to do this, you must not cling to the world. 
Verse 12, we see, but if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these pagan nations still in their midst, remaining among you and make marriages of you with them, and it goes on to this long litany of terrible things that will happen to them. Why? If you've ever seen a, a little uh, two-and-a-half-year-old boy try to drink out of a, 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 a big boy cup, what is the mother going to say? Two hands. Two hands. Hold on. Don't let go. Because if he were to let go, then it would crash. You can't cling to two things at once. My friend whom I was skiing behind that little bitty boat in the three and a half feet of water, if he had stopped clinging to that rope, if he had decided otherwise to cling to his life jacket, well, he wasn't wearing a life jacket, if he were to cling to his skis or cling to his shirt, then he would have been in very real trouble indeed. You can't cling to two things at once. Either for me or against me, Jesus says. You can't have two masters. So the question is, are you clinging to Jesus? Are you clinging to the Lord? A lot like saran wrap. Are you clinging to Jesus? If you cling to Jesus, he will give you rest. And that is what many of you desperately need right now. Physical rest for sure. But I'm talking emotional, spiritual, psychological rest. This is the rest that God offers us. If we allow him to fight our battles for us. If we cling to the one who fights off a thousand using just one. If we cling to the one who sends hailstones to destroy his enemies at Gibeon. If we cling to the one who stopped the sun and somehow everything didn't spin off the earth. Then he will give us rest. See, we read in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 that the rest that Joshua gave the Israelites was not complete. It was a fragile rest. And this full rest is available only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Cling to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are worthy to be clung to. Help us to forsake the world clinging only to Jesus, that you might give us the rest we need even today. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior. Amen.